tuned into CFCR 90.5 FM. It's time for the nerdy news. And you're listening to Punch Radio with Tony and Kathy, Dave, Jody, Brennan, and Hank and Craig. And today on the show, we're talking about a lot of reading material. Uh, Tony's going to talk about Star Wars comics. Brennan's going to talk about Vampirella and Red Sonja comics. And I'm going to talk about uh, a really cool graphic novel that came out in 2020 that I only just discovered. It is really, really good. So Dave and I are going to talk about that. And we will also uh, weigh in with Hank and Craig to this episode. So let's kick things off. Uh, Star Wars comics. What's new in that world, Tony? Well, we're going to go back, actually, Jody. We're going to talk about something uh, way back when in 1978. 1977, uh, the Star Wars uh, series came out through Marvel. And uh, it, it almost didn't happen. And you're probably saying to yourself, how could that not happen? Well, back in 1975, when Lucas was actually writing or making Star Wars at the beginning, he was going out and trying to get people to, you know, enjoy Star Wars more and getting some kind of publicity. So he was going to conventions. They were putting up uh, posters at San Diego Comic-Con. They were giving away free posters for the movie, which are worth a heck of a lot of money, by the way. And they were also trying to get people to, to make toys. And that wasn't happening. And in 1975, he went to Stan Lee, DC, mm-hmm. and a couple other um, companies and said, hey, we want you to you know, use, make our, a comic out of our movie. And everyone said no. 1975, Stan Lee was like, no, not going to happen. We do not want, you know, we don't know your movie and whatever. Yeah. So back in that Back in the day, you got to imagine how horrible that would be. You're trying to like make a movie. You're trying to get some publicity. You're spending like $10 million on this movie and people don't care to see it. And in this day and age, you can't imagine people not wanting to see Star Wars stuff. But that's the way it was when it first started. People yeah. did not buy comic books uh, about space movies. It was all at that point Super with superheroes. And yeah. uh, so that was kind of happening. So basically what happened was it was very exciting times because Stanley finally said 1976 he's like you know what sure they saw pictures some drawings probably the stuff that uh, Ralph Corey was doing they said let's do it so I have to go back to when I was a kid and when all this stuff happened I remember seeing like right after seeing Star Wars Star Wars came out in 1977 it was May and like right after that right right before that April Star Wars Marvel Comics came out. They were published in April 12, 1977. I never saw these books. So they were probably not really hitting the shelves very much at the beginning because people didn't, hadn't seen the movie yet. And then when the movie got huge, obviously that's when people were probably buying them and I still didn't see them. So I don't remember seeing the first six issues of Star Wars at my, at my local uh, drugstore that I was buying them at. They just didn't have them. And that would just be outrageous now that you wouldn't see stars, but I think it just people didn't care. Yeah, yeah, I could, I can understand that. I remember watching the between Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill their tape or whatever. Yeah, and neither of them had any idea about what Star Wars was supposed to be. So I can understand how the general public wouldn't have got it either. So there I am, young, young Tony, trying to get me some Star Wars. At that point, the only, the only thing I could find Star Wars was Star Wars tops card, OPG cards, and there was nothing else. So finally, I saw the movie, and I was like blown away. And at this point, I'd already missed the first six issues of the comic. The first six issues were basically a, uh, a recap of the actual movie. Um, 
it was basically the movie itself was not exactly like the comics were because the comics were actually written before the movie came out and a lot of it was actually based on uh, the actual screenplays at the time mm -hmm. that they were able to see it. So the the pictures that they saw. So if you look at the actual, you know, the, the TIE fighters and the X-Wings, they all look very different. Um, and it's it's just reminiscent to the fact that if you don't know what you're drawing, just like any of the toys, you don't know what you're drawing or what yeah. you're looking at or what you what's going on, then it obviously gets a little confusing. So a lot of that is a little different, which makes it kind of fun. So Howard, uh, Lucas really, really liked Howard Chaykin. I don't know if you know uh, Howard Chaykin, but he was the American, oh geez, American Flag was his book, which was really big back in the 70s. And uh, Roy Thomas, Roy Thomas was a writer. He did a lot of stuff. He did Conan, X-Men, Avengers, and he was asked to write it. Uh, and he said, yes, based on the, the concept art. So I think at this point, you know, people are kind of looking at the art. They don't really know what's happening. And they're like, okay, we'll do it. So because of that, it was never really meant to be more than the first six issues. I don't think they ever thought it would be more. So this is actually even funnier. So Stanley did a deal with Lucas that he would not, they would not pay any royalties to Lucas until they made had 100,000 uh, copies sold. So that was it. So if it sold less than 100,000, like Lucas got nothing and Stanley would keep all the money that was done. Obviously it sold billions of issues. <laughs> so there was a lot of money that, that, that would change hands afterwards. But at the time it was like, Stanley's like, no, you know, I'm kind of like not gonna pay you unless it does well. So, so that's kind of where it was sitting. <laughs> so it hits the shelves. The first six issues are amazing. So good so that it sells out and they actually made some large treasury editions. They're like the large book size comics. Oh, yeah. A lot of people, when I, when I first saw these book size and people still come into the store now and they're like, oh, look, it's the first issue of Star Wars. Well, they're actually not because the first three issues are in those large books and the people still think that those, those uh, large treasury editions are actually the... Uh, the first issues, but they're not, they come on comic form first. So the first treasury edition was the first three issues. The second treasury was the, was the second three issues together. So it was treasury edition one and two. And then they got greedy and they put out treasury edition number three. Guess what's in treasury edition number three? All six. All six, exactly. Uh. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of what people remember, I think, with the, with the actual original trilogy stuff. So I, I don't remember much about it. But I do remember the next part. So after one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, number seven came out. And this one I saw at the bookstore. So this was at the comic store. I think it was the Max or Ralph's Confectionery, wherever it is I was buying my, my comics at that time. And it was not Star Wars. I think I'm kind of going to have to say that it was a lot different than Star Wars because they changed it. They went from being a really cool Star Wars, you know, movie to like they added characters. They added people like uh, Jackson, who was a green rabbit. Green rabbit. Yes, he was a giant green rabbit. And then they had, uh, they were only able to actually focus on a couple things. So they're only actually able to focus on Han, Han Solo and Chewie. So things changed. So... The first six are awesome. If you go back and you start reading the stuff after, it had 107 issues. Uh, there was the, it got better near the end. But if you want to watch some real, read some cornball Star Wars, um, <laughs> obviously none of it is uh, is it dates very well. Uh, and Jackson's the best. And I'm brought all this up because I hear they're going to make a Jackson action figure so soon at your local comic store or toy store. You're going to be able to get a big green rabbit 
that is going to be hitting the shelves. And that's exciting. And Jackson shows up in Star Wars Adventure Comics. And yes, he does. He does as well. There you go. Yeah. That's the, if you guys want to read some cornball stuff, but the first six are amazing. You should read them. It's awesome. Okay. Thanks, Tony. Okay. Well, I'm going to talk about with Dave here, uh, a graphic novel that we just recently discovered. It came out in 2020 and it is uh, written and illustrated by Reiko Polito. He's a Spanish dude, but this is, he's been making Spanish comics for a, quite a while, winning lots of awards and stuff, but this is his first English translated graphic novel and it's really really good it's called Ghost Rider Ghost Writer not <laughs> Ghost Rider this is not about some weird detective on a on a motorbike this is Ghost he's writer. not a detective he's a, he's from hell <laughs> Ghost Rider's from hell He's from hell, but he still solves crime. That makes him a detective in my book. <laughs> there is a detective in this story. It, it's, it is a detective story, so there are some parallels, but very few. This is set in 1943 Barcelona, and it focuses on a young woman who she works as a writer for a radio program where they solve problems. It's sort of like the the dear Ann Landers type thing. But like all of the letters are like, my husband beats me. I, I think he might be gay. He's like, it's all really- Marital marital problems that women are having with, with their men. Right. And uh, meanwhile, there's this horrible, vengeful killer on the loose in the city that is murdering ma married men. And uh, there's, there's this craziness going on. So this detective, he, he pairs up with a hypnotist dude and together they make a connection between uh, the radio program of offering advice to these like down and out women and the men who are being murdered. So yeah, it's a really, it's a really cool story, but it's told in a really cool style too, because the story involves both hypnotism and disguises, which both work really well in a graphic novel format because um, you know, you see certain characters wearing certain disguises and the panels slowly let you in on a part of the world that most of the public in Barcelona can't see. So it teases that out in a really satisfying way. It's, it's, this, that makes me want to read more of this guy's comics. Yeah, I really like that, like, it shows you things. Like people, like characters who you think are one thing from what people say about them are completely different because he shows you behind the scenes when they're in and out of their disguises. It is a really clean style. It's black and white, but you don't miss color in this book at all. It's, no. it's, it feels like a fully flushed out uh, world, but it is stylized, no doubt. Well, it's a period piece. And so, you know, I was never in... Barcelona in 1943, but it looks real to me. It, it looks believable to me. Yeah, I buy it. The clothes, the styles, the attitudes, it's all there. Yes, it's very, very good. It does have some red in it when there's blood, there's red. So it is very uh, eye-catching when that happens. But it is a great book. And um, I had already done my top 10 for 2020. And I kind of, this this would have been in there for sure. It's one of the better things that I read in, in a long time. And I highly recommend anybody who enjoys 
crime drama, but certainly period pieces. Um, and if you just like comics as art, uh, you will love this. It's got real clean lines, really like inky inks. Uh, it reminds me of a little bit of like Chris Ware or Charles Burns or Seth. It's definitely in like the stuff I love and it is well worth checking out. Um, and it's a really good story with twists and turns. And yeah, not everybody is a good person. You're not really sure who to root for in this story. And probably maybe about a 20 or 30 minute read, depending on how, how much you like to dwell on, on the art in, in the panels, which you certainly can if you want to. Yeah, it is pretty quick, uh, but it, I know this is one that I'm gonna read again and again. I will be coming back to this book um, and revisiting all the beautiful artwork and to get that story again, because it's it's quite riveting. Yeah, Ghost Writer by Reiko Polito. Ghost Writer. All right, check that out. All right, we're gonna throw things over now to Hank and Craig. And, and then when we come back, we are gonna talk with Brennan about Vampirella and Red Sonja. Hey everybody, Craig Siliphant here uh, with my old pal Hank Cruz, and uh, we got a few things to talk about today. Uh, what do you uh, What do you got to start with there, Hank? Oh, I get to start. That's very nice, Craig. Thank you. So, uh, his Dark Materials. It's on HBO, Crave TV in Canada. It's also a BBC One show. Question number one: Have you watched it? Have you read the book? Do you know anything about it? Uh, no, but I'm glad you asked that because I was going to say, uh, I could be 100% completely wrong about this, but my conception of it in my mind, uh, which is informed by almost nothing, and I'm, I'm also kind of stupid, but the, con the conception of it in my mind is that it's kind of a, like, one of those, like, Harry Potter sort of knockoffs that, like, were, you know, became popular in the uh, young adult world after, after the success of Harry Potter, uh, you know, like the Maze Runner and, and things like that, and uh, I was surprised when I saw that it was an HBO show uh, and I thought of even checking it out like that it might be good, but I honestly don't even know if I'm absolutely right if it, if it is even young adult or or if it's supposed to be like a quality one or not. So you tell me, what do I need to do? So, so it is, uh, it's excellent, but do you remember the 2007 film, The Golden Compass? Yes, I do. So the Golden Compass was based on these books, and it wasn't very good. And that's why when I saw His Dark Materials, I was like, really? But as it turns out, this is awesome. For those of you that don't know, it's a fantasy drama TV series based on the novels of the same name. Uh, the author is Philip Pullman. It's about a girl, Lyra Balakwa, who lives in a parallel world in which human souls take the form of lifelong animal companions called demons. Dark forces are at work in the girl's world and many children have been kidnapped by beings known as gobblers, gobble, gobble. Then Lyra vows to save her best friend, Roger, who was taken by the gobblers. She sets out with her demon, a tribe of seafarers, a witch, an ice bear, and a Texas airman on an epic quest to rescue Roger and save her world. But in search for her missing friend and other missing children, she also discovers evils done by uh, it's a Catholic Church Nazi hybrid organization called the Magisterium that is investigating a mysterious substance called dust, which leads her on a journey of epic proportions. Ultimately, it leads 
other worlds in our world we are in currently. And a Will prophecy links her destiny to Will, who is the teenager currently living in England in our world. And he himself is being pursued by mysterious figures. Things get crazy. It's great. Uh, the entire family has watched it. So my uh, almost seven-year-old uh, loved it. My 11-year-old loved it. My wife and I loved it. So the first, uh, actually first two seasons are on uh, Craven Canada. Season one uh, dished out an 88 out of 100. Season two got even better, so it was a 90 out of 100. Uh, you should check it out. You should check it out. It's a little bit, a little Harry Potter, a little Chronicles of Narnia, a little bit uh, other fantasy stuff in there, but it's uh, a hell of a lot better than that movie. So way better. Very good. And obviously, as you said, uh, you know, good for like a seven-year-old, like not too scary or anything like that. You nodded. Was, your uh, there was a few parts that were a little. Actually, the the scariest uh, thing in there is uh, there's a bunch of animal uh, violence, like uh, when the bears are attacking each other, and there's some things that were a little bit scary for him. But uh, other than that, it's uh, pretty good. Pretty good, and uh, a few uh, big name actors in there as well. Like uh, Bruce Wilson is in there. Uh, then you've got, uh, you know what? I don't want to ruin it because some are voice actors for some of the demons and stuff. You, you should check it out. It's very good. Very good. Cool. All right. Well, yeah, that sounds interesting. And you know what? I'm honestly, uh, I'm always down to check out pretty much anything that HBO makes. Like even if it's not something that's in my wheelhouse, it's generally you know really well made and well written. So uh, I'm down with that. I should mention too. I haven't watched this yet, but part two of the euphoria one-offs uh came out i think uh so the first one eh, wasn't that great but uh, we'll see what the second one is i however have been over on netflix watching pretend it's a city which is a martin scorsese production and it's a i guess documentary television series about the writer and sort of feminist uh, activist, I guess. I don't even know if she's really an activist, but she was well known for her feminist leanings and writings in the, you know, 70s and stuff, uh, Fran Lebowitz. And if you know anything about Fran Lebowitz, she's, you know, she's very funny lady, very crotchety, like that's kind of the whole gag is she's just got these opinions about everything. Uh, and the second layer to it is that she obviously lives in New York City. And, you know, Scorsese's obviously a big uh, New York City guy. And so the show also kind of has a, a depth to it that focuses on, you know, just New York and living in New York and what that's like and the difference between old New York in the, you know, 70s or so before all the gentrification of it and now, right? And she's just really funny. I mean, there's some things that she says where you're like, oh, she could get canceled for that. Uh, and other things where she goes into like, there was an episode I watched the other day where she was talking about like, whether or not to believe women you know, in reference to like the Me Too movement and stuff like that. And she told this amazing story. I won't even tell it just I, I won't do it justice. But and it became like, almost like uh, Nanette by uh, Hannah Gadsby, where like it turns from like, stand up comedy into this like scathing art piece, you know what I mean? But she starts to talk about, you know, whether she believes what you know, whether she does or not, and why she does or not. And it, it, it just becomes really powerful. And even though the rest of the show is mostly funny, like I've watched like a ton of episodes and they're all pretty funny. It doesn't really get that serious normally, but it just pulls the rug out from under you in certain moments. So, and it really is just like one of the funnest parts of it is watching Scorsese react to her because she's really funny. And he's like, he's just a very cute old man. And he just like laughs at it. Uh, and it's not just him that's in it. They have a bunch of like, like they have her in a bunch of different locations and stuff. So one of them's in like a bar where they're just kind of hanging out. Another one is on a stage with uh, Spike Lee. So, um, 
you know, there's just a bunch of different kind of places they have her where she's, you know, just telling me stories and talking. So uh, pretend it's a city. It's on Netflix. Uh, and it's really fun. The other thing I watched this uh, this week that I won't get so too far. Is, uh, sorry to uh, to interrupt you. I uh, missed at the start for Netflix. Is it a series? Like, is it episodes or is it a movie? Uh, no, it's a series. So it's like they're about half hour episodes each. I forget how many there are. There are. I think there's probably six or seven. Uh, I think I've watched about five of them. Awesome. So, uh, so yeah, sorry. It's a half hour half hour series uh, from Netflix and Scorsese. Uh, and then I also this week watched a movie called Psycho Goreman, PG Psycho Goreman. And it actually played at the Saskatoon Fantastic Film Festival here uh, last year. And I believe, I'm not sure if it's done yet, but it was playing at the Roxy Theater uh, up until like even a few days ago. Uh, it's a Canadian production and it's super bonkers off the wall. It's about these uh, little kids who find this alien artifact and they sort of conjure up this alien and he's this like psycho space demon that wants to like destroy the universe and he has the power to do so except for that this kind of little girl who is sort of an unsavory character herself a little bit she has control over him so he has to do everything she says even though he'd rather like you know, rip her guts out or whatever. Uh, and so it's, it's really funny. Uh, it kind of loses its way about halfway through maybe and stumbles a bit. But if you like that kind of gonzo science fiction humor, uh, it's, you know, it's definitely worth a watch. So, so yeah, I think that's about all the time you and I have this week. So let's throw back to Jody and everybody and uh, just tell everybody happy watching this week. Thank you, Craig and Hank. Okay, Brennan. Bring us up to speed on what's happening in the dynamite world. Is that the publishing house we're going after? Or because uh, both Red Sonia and Vampirella have been with different publishers. Is that correct? It, they have, but right now they are definitely under the, the dynamite umbrella of, of publishing. Um, and probably, I'd argue, two of the most popular characters. Um, I figured since it's been about a month since I've talked about Vampirilla, I should probably mention Vampirilla again because I don't talk about her enough on this show. Um, so right now, this month, we have Vampirilla, The Dark Powers, and Red Sonia, The Superpowers. And so the two books kind of have this main theme. What if you were to take Vampirilla and make her part of a superhero team? And what if you took Red Sonia and had her meet up or become part of a superhero team? So the first one... Vampiro of the Dark Powers, um, she has been enlisted with a group who kind of reminds me of a, a classic, like Justice Society of America kind of team. And they've taken heroes from uh, different worlds and they've united them to go and, and face these threats. Um, Vampirilla does not want to be part of a superhero team. She's not a team player. She doesn't enjoy it. Um, at the very beginning of the book, she is sent in to stop these uh, bad guys, and she does very much in Vampirilla style, and then the superheroes come in, and they're completely shocked by what they see. They don't understand why she went and killed all these people, and she's like, that's what I do. Why did you ask me to join your group? Um, so there's this sort of trying to figure out how she can be a team player, while at the same time, someone who's never been a team player and doesn't really want to have anything to do with it. Um, Red Sonia, the superpowers, we have... It's being set up that there's some kind of uh, plural world time traveling federation type thing. And as soon as a world shows some evidence of, they say metahuman, so hopefully DC won't sue them, but some kind of strong power or powers coming, they show up 
to like make allegiance with them and to kind of get them under their uh, pact for peace and security. So when they show up, um, they get these readings from this mountain and they say, oh, there's something going on there and we should check it out. What they don't know is Red Sonia has been sent by a group to this mountain because there's an evil magician there who is planning to lay waste to the whole landscape, right? This magician's gonna do a bad thing, so they ask Red Sonia to go take care of this magician. So on the way to this uh, castle, she is confronted by these heroes that are there to kind of save the day. And these heroes find out what happens if you try to cross Red Sonia. They think she's like a simple barbarian. And at first she is not doing well because they have technology and things. But when she kind of figures out what they're up to, um, she makes her presence known. Um, this comic book, this group is kind of more like a Justice League kind of thing, but again, with an old timey kind of look with the costumes and capes and things. Um, they're both written by Dan Abnett, who's known for doing Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, Red Sonia was uh, drawn by Jonathan Lau, and uh, Vampirella Dark Powers was done by Paul Davidson. Uh, they're both really, really fun. Um, I like when they take characters like this, like Vampirella specifically, um, when you pull her out of the horror world and put her in uh, a landscape that's different, just to see how she interacts. Um, I like the character a lot. Sometimes horror comics after a while, but I get it, there's lots of demons and lots of blood and you know what I mean? It's the same kind of aesthetic. Um, but I like it sort of like the fish out of water type of deal with, with, both, these, with both these characters. So uh, they're both really fun. Um, if you like something that's a, you know, a cross between superheroes and adventure and a little bit of horror, um, definitely check it out. It's a good starting off point. I haven't really read Red Sonia in a long time, but uh, this one I'll pick up. So there you go. Some fun reads with some serious characters. Excellent. Well, I think we have all put forward some good suggestions for people to cozy down in this cold weather and, you know, just pull up a blanket and do some good reading, get some comics under your belt for sure. All right, that wraps up another week of Punch Radio. We will chat at you in another week's time. So in the meantime, keep your dukes up. She sang me like a child, how sweet. Snow's coming down on the cars in